you, Sister Mimi. Please open your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Would you join me as we, excuse me, invite the Lord to guide our time in His Word. Gracious Father, we we bow before your presence. We acknowledge that apart from you, we can do nothing. We are nothing. If it weren't for your saving grace, we would be on our way to an eternity apart from you. Without your sustaining grace, We would get there very quickly. You are at work in our lives. Day by day. Fulfilling your purpose and design. For why you created us. We ask that today as we open your word. That you will use this truth. To bring encouragement to our hearts challenge us in our pursuit of Christ. We pray for those who may be in the hearing of my voice right now that do not know Jesus Christ personally. Pray for them. That what they hear today will encourage them to desire to know you, O God. Father, would you use me to communicate your truth clearly and effectively for the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Gordon MacDonald, who is a retired pastor, uh, author, and also, I believe, a retired seminary president, many years ago when he was speaking at a Promise Keepers event, shared this story. So when I was fat, when I was first ran track in prep school, my coach invited me to his home for dinner one night. And after the meal, he pulled me pulled out a notebook with my name displayed on the front cover. He immediately turned to the back page, which bore the heading June 1957, which was three and a half years away. Gordon, he said, These are the races I'm going to schedule you to run almost four years from now. And here are the times that you will achieve. I looked at those times. Impossible. They were light years away from where I was at that moment as a runner. And then Coach began turning back the pages of that book, page by page, showing the 42 months he had scheduled for workouts. These were the graduated, accelerated plans for my increasing skill on the track as the months and years would go by. He had a sense of direction and development when it came to my athletic growth. Similarly, a wise and all-knowing God has a plan for your life. He is sovereignly orchestrating the events and circumstances 
of your life to not only prepare you, but to propel you into that growth and development spiritually. Last week we looked here in, in chapter 3 of Philippians in verses 10 and 11 at Paul's expressing the desire of his heart and it challenged us to, to desire the same thing. And that is, he says that I may know Him. That I may know Him more deeply. That I may surrender to Him more fully. Right? That I may, in my experience, know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He stepped on our toes last week, didn't he? He says, I want to know him. I want to be conformed to his death. That is, I want to die to the self-life. It's no longer I. And he says, and I want to attain to the the Christ life. I want to live a life where Christ's life flows in me and through me and that He will accomplish His purpose through my life. That's the desire He expresses. That's the desire that we ought to belong for in our life. That's why God put us here. And now we come to verses 12-14. through 14. He continues this same theme, and now he expresses kind of where he is on this journey, the reality of his situation, and the focus he has on moving forward. He says this, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect or mature, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We learn a couple things about spiritual maturity here from this passage. And the first is that spiritual maturity is not a destination we arrive at one day. I remember as a, a, a teenager thinking to myself, when I become an adult, then I'll have it together. Then I'll know what's going on and how to do things. I will be confident. I will be. Uh, uh, I'll know how to respond to this situation and that situation. I. I won't have all the feelings and fears and. And insecurities I have now because when I become an adult, that'll all go away. Well, guess what? It doesn't all go away. Because maturity is not a destination. It's different than that. We don't arrive one day at this destination. We got it all together. We're now perfect. That isn't on this side of glory. And Paul says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. That is, completely finished, mature. I'm not there yet. 
I'm pressing on. I think the reason we maybe get a little confused on this is because we do receive the gift of the Spirit at a point in time. There is a moment in our journey where we come to understand the gospel, put our faith in Christ, and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It happens at a point in time as we walk in this earth. But that's really the beginning of this journey, not the end of it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, tells us, you go back a, a, a chapter, uh, I'm sorry, a book into chapter 1 of Ephesians, you see verse 13, he says, In Him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's a, a progression there. After hearing the message of the gospel, Right? This gospel of your salvation, hearing it, hearing this message that because of sin, you are separated from God. And on your way to an eternity apart from God in a place of torment, right? The Bible calls Hades or hell. This is a, a place that we are destined for in our sin. But Christ came to earth to take your sin off of you and onto himself and to die in your place and experience the punishment that you and I deserve because of sin. He rose again, showing that he had gained victory over sin and death, and he, read, and he went back to be with the Father, and he offers us the gift of forgiveness and eternal life with him. And we receive it by faith. And he says, at the moment you heard right, the, the message of the, of the gospel of, of salvation, having also believed, you put your faith in Christ, you were then sealed by the Holy Spirit in Him. That happens at a point in time in our life. And if that hasn't happened to you yet, I would, con I would encourage you strongly to consider what this is all about. Because the Bible speaks the truth about the realities of sin and the punishment of sin. God has a better plan. And God offers us. Not just a, a place in heaven one day, but He offers Himself through His Spirit to come live inside of us, have a relationship with God, and to live out a life God had created and designed us from the very beginning. This coming to a place where we are saved and the Spirit comes to dwell inside of us happens at a moment in history. But that's not true of spiritual maturity. Because secondly, we will not experience perfection this side of heaven. We are on a journey from that moment of spiritually growing and maturing, moving toward the grave and the time we will then be transferred into glory with God. John MacArthur kind of gives some thoughts on this. I'm going to read a few paragraphs from his commentary. He says, the previous passage in chapter 3, 4 through 11, described Paul's transformation when he encountered the risen Christ on the Damascus Road, and understood the gospel. In that powerful and moving passage, the apostle recited his impressive religious credentials. 
Then dramatically, he declared that compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, those achievements were mere rubbish. Paul exchanged his useless human achievements for the knowledge, righteousness, power, fellowship, and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some in Philippi might have mistakenly assumed that, having gained those marvelous benefits, Paul has, had reached spiritual perfection. And the Judaizers may also have taught the Philippians that spiritual perfection was attainable through being circumcised and keeping the law. There were also heretics who taught that spiritual perfection awaited those who attained a certain level of knowledge. To counter such false ideas, Paul quickly added this passage, which is a forceful disclaimer of spiritual perfection. Though he was a new creature with a new heart, a new disposition that strong, strongly desired holiness, was united with Christ, possessed a renewed mind, and had a mind, the mind of Christ, had right standing before God, had been justified, had been forgiven, had Christ's righteousness imputed to him, and was indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Paul was not perfect. And all of those things are true of you and I in Christ. We're not perfect. He was still subject to temptation, still possessed his unredeemed flesh, and was still a sinner. Far from having obtained perfection, he was pursuing it with all his might. Like Peter, Paul understood that the Christian life is a long, lifelong process of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a, a belief among some of what they call entire sanctification. And that means that a person can reach a place in their life where they no longer sin, this side of heaven. Often they would say, well, not sin willfully, because you, you cannot say that a person does everything always right with the right motives and, and never omits anything that they're supposed to do. We cannot live perfectly righteous lives. But they would say, well, we, we can get to the point where we never intentionally sin ever again. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Paul is an example of this. If anybody, you would say in the Scripture, has reached a level of maturity where they're, they're not willfully sinning anymore, you'd say it would have to be the Apostle Paul. And he says, I haven't gotten there yet. And so we're never going to reach that level. He says, but I'm, I'm pressing on to lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me. Right? We were laid hold of by Christ to be saved and filled by His Spirit so that He could live His life through us. And Paul says, I'm, I'm pressing on to lay hold of that. But he says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I think we need to realize what the Apostle Paul knew. And that is that not only haven't we arrived yet, but we ought to stop acting like we have. Right? He says, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I don't act like I'm all that. And I'm better than other people. And, and, and I got it all together. And, and they need to, they need to, to figure it out and, and catch up to me. And, and let's be honest, sometimes that's how Christians can, can be toward other people. Just because we have the truth and we have what they need doesn't mean that we've arrived. 
And so we've got to realize this reality. We're still on the journey. We cannot act like we have it all together. That is a turnoff to an unbeliever. That will rarely, if ever, bring somebody to know Jesus Christ. If they buy into the fact, which is pretty rare, that you actually do have it together, their conclusion is, I can never be like that. And so they give up. I've heard people tell me that. I can never be like so-and-so. What I want to say is, well, you don't really know so-and-so like I do. <laughs> so we got to be careful. <clears throat> Again, as I've said many times, our witness is not to, to put on a show so that people can see what perfection's supposed to look like. No, our witness is that people see that we screw up and we rely upon God's forgiveness and His grace in our lives and He's working on us because that gives them hope. And that's reality. And I love that Paul says, I haven't gotten there yet. And I don't even regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. The Pharisees are a perfect example of what we're not supposed to be, right? They walked around like they were all that. Like they were better than everybody else. They had a corner on the, a market on the truth, and everybody needed to, to bow to them and, and follow what they did. And Jesus said, they can't even live up to their own standards. And I find it interesting that the, the people Jesus was hardest on as he walked this earth were the Pharisees, the self-righteous ones. Those who were struggling, who were failing, who were considered the, the, the down-and-outers, the, the sinners, they're the ones Jesus embraced and expressed a welcoming spirit to. Who do you want to be? <laughs> the one that Jesus rebuffs? Or the one that Jesus welcomes? Warren Wiersbe said, divine dissatisfaction is essential in spiritual progress. Realizing you haven't arrived yet, not being satisfied with your progress to this point. MacArthur says, the truly mature and godly have the most <clears throat> sensitive awareness of their sins and are the humblest before God because of it. We're going to be a testimony for Jesus Christ. We don't need more pretend perfection. We need more humble dependence on Christ. And people usually know the difference. Listen, spiritual maturity is not a destination we arrive at. Secondly, spiritual maturity is a process we engage in today and every day. It's a process that we engage in. Paul says, I'm pressing on to lay hold of that. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, one thing I do, that's, that's a great statement of singular focus. He's already said all those things that, that I 
encountered on in the past, all those things that, that compelled me in the eyes of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, I count it all rubbish. It's a liability in light of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. This is the one thing I'm doing. My singular focus. <clears throat> Paul uses throughout his writings a lot of imagery of, of athletics. <clears throat> I wonder if he was a, an athlete when he was younger, and, and, and that's why he had such an interest in athletics and the Olympics and all of that that was going on even in his day. Because he used a lot of that imagery. <clears throat> But, you know, here we got the, the Winter Olympics going on right now. These athletes have dedicated their life to one thing, being the absolute best that they could be in their discipline. So that one day they could compete on the biggest stage. Singular focus. They had to say no to a lot of stuff. When they were real little, right? When, when everybody, all their friends are going and doing all kinds of things, when they become teenagers and their friends are doing all that stuff, no, I, gotta, I get up at 5 in the morning and go to the gym or go to the ice rink or whatever, and, and I'm, I'm focused. I'm doing this one thing. Consumes their life. Paul says, I got one focus. One thing that consumes my life, and that is that I would know Christ. So deeply and so profoundly that his life is flowing through me. And what you see is not Paul, it's Jesus Christ. How's he going to get there? Well, he says, I'm forgetting what lies behind. And I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. He just stopped looking back. And what, is, what does he mean by that? He says, I'm not going to look at those things that one, one day in the past that I thought were, were, were made me righteous and made me, made me something. Right? All that list that he gave. A Hebrew of Hebrews and, and all that. Don't look to the accomplishments of the past as if they are what make you who you are now. As if, as if that's what you're holding on to. They're liabilities, according to the Apostle Paul. Another thing we need to make sure we don't look back on is our, the guilt of our sin. One of the things Paul said was a person, he was a persecutor of the church. That, when he was a Pharisee, he thought was a good thing. Now, as a believer, he's looking at it with, I'm sure, an element of guilt and shame. He participated in the persecution of, of Christ's uh, children. We know that he was there in Acts uh, 7 when Stephen was martyred, was stoned to death. He was there holding the cloaks, giving hearty approval, the Scripture says. We know that he went after believers, and that's what he was doing when he went to Damascus. He had letters from the authorities to go get the Christians and bring them back, to put them in jail. And Christ met him on the way and transformed his life. I think what Paul's saying is, don't look back at those things which either you can puff yourself up with or beat yourself up with. Again, MacArthur says, believers cannot live in past victories, nor should they be debilitated by the guilt of past sin. 
If we've been forgiven, we've been set free. And we move forward. Now, there's a place to look back. To look back and reflect upon God's goodness. Right? To see the hand of God at work in the circumstances of our life in the past that we couldn't see when we were in the moment. But as we look back, hindsight's twenty twenty. we can see, oh my, God was working. Look at what he did there and how the timing of that was so perfect. I, I remember I was just sharing with somebody a few weeks ago, and I forget what context it was, but you know, when Valerie and I were, uh, had graduated from Bible college, you know, I had sent out resumes to every church that I knew of, you know, on the, on the bulletin board, the Bible college and seminaries, they are posting all these listings of church openings, and I'm sending resumes out, and I've heard from a few that said, no thanks, uh, and the rest I didn't hear from. So I don't know what I put in that resume, but apparently it wasn't very good. But we were wrestling. What do we do? You know, do I go right to seminary? My desire was to, to go and serve in a church for a few years and then get some seminary so I could get a little experience. And ideally it would be to, to serve under another senior pastor that I can learn from, be mentored by. And, and we're just not sure. What do we do? And, and we had, uh, in, in the spring of that year, I'd, I'd come to actually speak in, in a church in, uh, in Greencastle, which actually met in this building, right? Greencastle Bible Church. I came and spoke. And uh, not with any intention at that point of, of candidating there. I don't think they were looking for somebody. They just, I was just filling the pulpit. Filling in for, one, for a, a friend of mine who was supposed to come and couldn't, and I came instead. And then later in the summer, they asked if I would come back. Well, that time I brought Valerie. Well, that changed everything. So then it was, uh, I think, early September. We were, we were house-sitting for friends of ours who were on a mission field. Again, we're not sure what, what we're going to do. I got a phone call. We, uh, we, we decided, we voted, and we would like for you to come and be our pastor here in Greencastle. Okay. Not an hour later, I got a phone call from my home church, from my pastor, who's my spiritual mentor. He said, I'm sitting here with the elders in the church, and we've decided we want to hire an associate pastor. We want you. I would have loved to serve under my pastor. But God so orchestrated things so that we got the first call first. And we said yes. And I said, Pastor Jerry, I, I would love to do that, but I've just made a commitment, and I cannot go back on that. We're going to Greencastle. can't imagine if I would have went the other way. Because a few years later, he left his wife and, uh, and married a secretary. The church just, I, mean, I, would have been, I would have been as a young kid trying to figure out how to make sense of this. In God's providence, he allowed us to receive the phone call here first. As I look back on that, and I see the sovereign hand of God moving and orchestrating circumstances and events exactly as He wanted them to be. So yes, we look back to see that kind of thing. We, we can look back to, to gain understanding of, of things maybe that we struggle with and why we struggle. We can maybe gain some insight, not to 
cast blame on anyone in our past, but to gain understanding so that we can lay that before the Lord, so that we can grow and get healthier emotionally and spiritually and in every way. But we need to stop looking back and holding on to past victories and past failures as if that's what's defining us. Jesus Christ defines us. And again, carrying that theme of athletics, when you are running a race and you start looking back, it slows you down. We've probably all seen right videos online of, of people who thought they had the race won. And they're coming toward the finish line, and they, they're looking back, and all of a sudden it slows them down, or they start to stumble a little bit, someone flies right past. Stop looking back. And then he says, but I'm, I'm reaching forward. And again, that's, this, this imagery is of a, an athlete who's stretching for the finish line. Right? I love speed skating. And they're watching that. And they're, they're just, they're coming, and they're neck and neck, and the one just lifts their foot out just past the edge of the other. That's what he's talking about, reaching forward, stretching out. We need to keep pressing forward in our pursuit of Christ. He says, I press on, verse 14, toward the goal for the prize of the, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 4, 25-27, Solomon writes, Let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn, turn your foot from evil. Keep going forward. Stretching forward. Your eyes fixed on the prize. The writer of Hebrews says, we, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, cheering us on, those who've gone before us. Right? He says, lay aside every encumbrance, those things which weigh you down, and the sin which so easily entangles and trips you up, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, right? who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What might that joy be? joy of having you and me. Some days I don't think that's such a joy. But that's what he got. That's what he was going after. That was the joy that was set before him. And he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep pressing forward. Paul says, I'm going hard. This is the one thing I'm doing. It's my singular focus. I'm reaching ahead. I'm running so as to win the prize. And for Paul, it wasn't just about his own growth. He realized his life was not just about him maturing, but he was here to help others as well. And so we read passages like Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. He says, and we proclaim Him, Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. That we may present everyone mature. 
when we get to the end, and we're all there, he says, and for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. He understands it's the power of Christ, life, working through him. And he's striving with Christ, through his power, to see everyone mature in Christ. Galatians 4.19, he says, My children, with whom I am again in labor, until Christ is formed in you. Like a mother giving birth, going through labor pains. He says, I'm going through it. That I might bring forth maturity in others. And then, of course, Ephesians 4. This is the passage that was foundational when we established Cornerstone Bible Church. It says in verses 11 through 16, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as pastors, as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Until we all get there. We're all to be growing. We're all to be moving in this direction. We're all to be pressing on. And there are days which some of us aren't wanting to do that. And so we come alongside each other and we encourage one another on the journey until we all attain to this maturity to be like Christ. says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Thinking about the Olympic Games. One commentator said, in, that, in those days, the Greek Games, after each event, they had a herald announce the name of the victor, his father's name, and his country. And the athlete would come and receive a palm branch at that person's hand. We see that in the Olympics, right? They, they win. They stand on the podium. The, the medal is placed around their neck. Their flag is raised and the anthem is sung. And it's such a glorious thing. But think about this. One day, we're going to stand at the end of our race. And our Father's name will be announced to the glory of God the Father. This is why we run. This is the prize we're going for. That our lives might be so filled with, with Jesus' Spirit that He bears the fruit that is in keeping with the life of Christ, right? The fruit of the Spirit, so that God our Father might get the glory from our lives. Spiritual maturity is not a destination. It is the process we are engaged in day after day. We're going after the prize. Bottom line is spiritual maturity is living the Christ life. It is Christ's life in us. 
That is the hope of glory. We strive in His power, as Paul says, to accomplish that very thing. Let's pray. Father God, our desire in these moments as we, we, we read these things and hear these things, Lord, maybe we feel inspired and desire this more, but God, tomorrow is going to come. We're going to face the reality of this coming week and all that's before us. And, and oftentimes these feelings die down. And God, I ask that today you would so work in us that you would begin to develop a deep-seated desire. Like the Apostle Paul, to know Christ more deeply, to surrender more fully, to press on. And Lord, if, if any of us have a tendency to look back and dwell upon the past, and oftentimes it's our failures, or it's the things that have been negative done to us in our life, and we hold on to those things, and we convince ourselves of things that aren't true, well, I can't serve the Lord because of this. I can't do this because of that. I'm disqualified because... God, we need to stop looking back. We need to keep looking forward and looking at You. Jesus, You're the prize. You are where we're going. You are the one who's living in us. It is Your life. And with Your life in us, we are completely qualified. Do whatever you've called us to do. Whatever you're leading us to do. And we're capable of living out each day for the glory and honor of your name. Lord, would you do this in us? Bring it about. Thank you that you hear and answer prayer. That's in accord with your will. I can't think of anything more according to the will of God than this. Thank you. Bring it about, Lord, until all of us attain to the maturity of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing, May the Mind of Christ, my Savior. We'll sing, I think, four verses of this. Um, as you sing this, let the words of this song uh, express the desire of your heart that this would be true for you. Mm -hmm.